Welcome back to episode 36 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called Purifying Plagues. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is teaching about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. In our most recent episodes, we've met up with the dragon who represents Satan, along with his minions, the sea beast and the land beast, who represent political tyranny, and false religion. Then we encounter three angel messengers who stand against the beasts and preach the gospel to the posterity of Adam and Eve. What happens then? Remember that those who covenant with the beast get the mark yes. of the beast on their foreheads. Well, those who covenant with the Savior get the mark of the priesthood on their foreheads. Oh, okay, cool. So you have this... Oh, very cool. Oh, these two opposing armies. Now comes the purification of the earth. Uh, before the Savior returns, the earth has to be purified because he can't abide in purity. Well, in ancient times, the people w would come to the temple to be purified of their sins. There was a special festival for that purpose called the Feast of the Passover. Now, the Passover uh, marked the end of winter and the beginning of spring. So it's kind of like a festival of new hope and salvation and purification. The Israelites called it the festival of freedom because they celebrated their escape from slavery, right, in Egypt under the Pharaoh. So you have to remember that the Exodus is, um, what one scholar calls it, the grand event which underlay the whole history of Israel and marked their miraculous deliverance from destruction and from bondage. So Exodus is kind of a, a metaphor for escape from being a slave to, to Satan, right? It's a metaphor for our whole lives. Getting away from Satan. Right. Like, right. Now, during Passover, they would eat unleavened bread for seven days uh, to symbolize the journey through the wilderness, right? So it also symbolizes the journey through mortality. But Passover was also a ceremony of purification. First, um, they'd go through their houses to remove any leaven. The Hebrew word is chametz. They would remove the leaven, uh, which is the stuff they used to make bread rise. So why on earth do they do that? That makes no sense. I mean, it seems weird. <laughs> well, today uh, in bakeries, they use yeast, right, to make bread rise. And that's called the leavening process. But um, in those days, they would leaven their bread, leaven the dough, right, with a kind of messy concoction, which is um, similar to a sourdough starter. It was usually made out of grains that were mixed with water and allowed to ferment. So it was a, a rotten and repulsive mess okay, mm. in a bowl. Okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, so to them, it suggested corruption, right? It, it was symbolic to them as a rotten, nasty mess, okay? And so it was a symbol of sin. Oh, okay. Okay? So eliminating any trace of it from the household was uh, a token of repentance. So each family would then go up to the temple and sacrifice a lamb without blemish, which, of course, signifies the atoning sacrifice, the Savior, Jesus Christ. What they would do is they would present the lamb to the priests, and the priests would slaughter it, uh, uh, right under the neck, wham. And then they would capture the blood 
in a bowl called a Mizrak. Uh, then they, they would take the bowl over to the altar of the temple and they would dash the blood against the altar. And that was the ceremony of purification. In this way, the people were purified. So how did the lamb's blood purify the people? Well, in ancient Israel, covenants were sealed by the shedding of blood, either your own or, or by proxy, um, an animal's. Well, the life of the animal was considered to be in its blood. So the blood was the token of, of forfeiting your life if you break the covenant, okay? Breaking a covenant is a serious matter, okay? Paul says in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 22, he says, quote, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Somebody has to pay the price if you violate a covenant. Somebody has to pay for that. Someone, something. And as I said, the blood of Christ pays the price for everyone who repents of that sort of thing. So what does all of this have to do with the book of Revelation? Well, now we get into chapter 15. So um, would you read verse 1 for us? Yeah, sure. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So what do, what do these angels do? Uh, let's skip down to verses 6 and 7. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having seven plagues, clothed with pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Now, the purification ritual of the Passover in this vision is played out in a heavenly temple. The angels are going to purge out the leaven of the wicked. Now, that's a phrase that comes from Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus refers to the false teachings that were plaguing Israel as, quote, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So part of the job of the angel messengers is to rid the earth of false teachings by preaching the gospel. They eliminate the leaven, just like the Israelites of old uh, got rid of the leaven. By the way, they still do this. The, the Jews, mm -hmm. the Passover, yeah, they, still, it, yeah. they still go through the house, throw out all the, the yeast and leavens and everything. It's a fun family tradition for many Jewish families. They, they collect it, and then they, they burn it in a special bowl. So they got rid of the leaven from their homes at Passover. They still do this, and of course it's still a symbol of purifying the family from sin. So why are the angels dressed in white linen and golden girdles? Well, that's the costume of a priest. It symbolizes their priesthood calling. So these angels are actually priesthood holders. What we're seeing is a temple ceremony carried out by the priests of the temple. It says they receive seven golden vials filled with the wrath of God. What is a vial? The word in Greek is fiale, which uh, is a sort of flat, shallow bowl. Uh, it was, um, in Hebrew, the mizrak, the, the bowl that the temple priests filled with the blood of the lamb. Mm. And then they would pour it against the altar. So you have seven priests carrying seven bowls filled with the blood of the lamb. The Jews would have immediately recognized this scenario, right, as the Passover sacrifice. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole purpose of this scene is to remind us of the atoning sacrifice of the Savior. Those who repent and accept their covenants 
are saved by the blood. But those who refuse to repent, well, the blood becomes a plague to them, mm. okay? And, and now we get seven plagues to purify the earth. Back in Leviticus, the Lord made a promise, kind of a threat. <laughs> he says, if ye walk contrary to me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins, including all the diseases of Egypt, he says. And that... Uh, course refers back to the story of the plagues that descended on Egypt when the Israelites were slaves. So now these plagues that we see in Revelation are the natural consequences of sin. It's not like the Lord is saying, I hate you and I'm going to pour down destruction on you. It is. They bring it on themselves. Mm -hmm. Like karma. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like what the French Theologian Jacques Ellul says about this passage, he says, quote, It's not the plagues themselves that are the judgment. It's the fact that man deliberately throws himself into the most profound abyss of evil, of perdition, of remoteness from God, of dehumanization, of slavery to sin. He manifests how far he is from God, which is to say that he proclaims his own perdition his own death. Man is not condemned. He condemns himself. Mm. That's important to, to recognize. So these plagues are, they bring them on themselves, mm. okay, the wicked do. At Passover, the priests would carry the bowls of the sacrificial blood to the altar during the incense offering, which is the, the prayer offering. So, of course, John describes the priest angels in the heavenly temple carrying the bowls while the incense fills the temple. Now, here's something very interesting. At sunset on Passover, this all takes place. The temple priests uh, poured the blood of the sacrificed lambs on the altar, which then would drain into the valley below, right? You've been to Jerusalem, you've seen the valley from the temple altar, drain the blood out into the, into the valley you know, that small gully between mm -hmm. the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives, there's this, this creek mm -hmm. that runs through there mm -hmm. called the Stream of Kidron. Mm -hmm. And the blood would flow down in uh, that slope. Okay? Right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, very near toward, toward Gethsemane, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would pour this blood out, uh, and it would drain down onto the earth. And so likewise, the seven angels of Revelation pour out their vials upon the earth. So you see, it's actually, uh, what we're seeing in Revelation is actually, well, it's, uh, it's, it's the scene in the temple where the priests would pour the blood out onto the earth. And that is something that the Jews of that time would have recognized. Okay. Now, here's something very important. This is very, very cool. At the same moment, the priests were pouring out the lamb's atoning blood in the temple on Passover Eve, okay, right across the Kidron Valley in Gethsemane, Jesus was sweating great drops of blood as atonement for us. So the actual sacrifice of the Savior was being carried out in reality, but also symbolically and simultaneously across the valley in the temple. Isn't that cool? That is extremely cool and very relevant to stuff I'm writing right now. That is just beautiful. I didn't realize they, because we know that he had Passover 
yeah. with his with his apostles, yes. and then okay. left, and then yeah. went to the garden. Yes, like the, this this is unbelievable. The yeah. bringing that up is yeah. blowing my mind, actually. So the lamb's blood in the temple is flowing out into the into the valley of Kidron yeah. at the same time that Jesus' blood was pouring out of his body in Gethsemane, in Gethsemane. near the near the Kidron right valley. across. Yes, yes right across. No, it's, it's proximity is just I got chills all over my yeah. body. And my the, body the, right the fact that this is happening simultaneously oh is really uh meaningful to me to me as and, well. Um, that is a powerful Oh, that is a powerful testament. And no one even got they, it. They didn't know what was going on in Gethsemane was actually there's the actual meaning of what, of they, what they were doing in the, the ritual. Temple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were doing the ritual without much thinking about it. I mean, this is what you do every year, right? Right. But what was happening across the, the little valley in, uh, in Gethsemane was, um, wow. was the actual significance of it. That, that is extremely profound. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's a good example of um, how human beings tend to forget what they're doing. <laughs> that is a great example. Yeah, when you when you when I take the sacrament these days, I really try to focus on. Well, this is the body. This is the blood, and right. uh, it's important to think about what you're doing. Right. Okay. So now, um, earlier that same evening, right? Jesus had offered his followers the cup that was he he called it the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, the blood, uh, when you think about it, the blood is a two-sided symbol, okay? It's bivalent. It's either detergent or pollutant. It's a token of purification for repentant people. So it's like a detergent. It cleanses them, mm -hmm. purifies them. But it's also a, a token of the wrath of God for those who don't repent. So that's what's poured out on the wicked. Mm. Uh, it's both those things. So now let's... Let's look at the plagues that the angel priests poured out on the earth in uh, chapter 16. Now, the first plague is uh, in 16, verse 2. Could you read that for us? And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Now, the first plague is called a noisome and grievous sore. It's like a cancer or a leprosy. The old English word noisome, we don't use it anymore, but it translates a Greek word kakos, which means evil. It, it connotes um, sort of the inner malice that flows out of um, morally rotten character. Okay, noisome. So long as men refuse to repent, that sore that they carry remains fatal. And the first plague that falls on the unrepentant is terminal it, it can't be healed unless you know, there is repentance under the law of moses the skin ulcer was uh, it made you impure uh, which meant that you couldn't participate in sacred ordinances uh, you'd have to move outside the community for a while to protect others from infection it was a health public health issue in that case it was symbolic of uh, infection and it was all symbolic because the Lord can't allow the disease of sin to spread. The unrepentant must be isolated from the repentant uh, forever, if necessary, right? Now, for the second and the third plagues, would you read chapter 16, verses 3 and 4 and 6? And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, 
and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. For the wicked have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Yeah, worthy of drinking blood. <laughs> now, yeah, sounds it, a little bit of macabre. Uh, sounds yeah. macabre, you know, like like little vampire-y. Yeah, so this is, um, this is of course, um, remember that Moses turned the water to blood. Egypt. So this Correct. is a recapitulation of that. Okay, makes sense. And, um, uh, but the issue here is that if you shed innocent blood, remember he says uh, the wicked have shed the blood of saints and prophets. So we're talking about that kind of wickedness. Mm -hmm. If you shed innocent blood, you deserve terrible penalties. And um, if you shed the blood of the saints, you're going to have a little drink of blood yourself. Okay. Mm. The ultimate judgment falls on, uh, I think, powerful men who shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, such as, um, say, Herod the Great, who slaughtered the innocents of Bethlehem, and Pharaoh, who killed the Hebrew children. Mm -hmm. An ancient book called The Wisdom of Solomon, uh, these wicked kings uh, found, quote, they found their river to be no unfailing stream of water, but putrid and befouled with blood in punishment for their order that all the infants should be killed. Okay, so this is... This is the plague that falls on murderers, okay? In the Bible, there's something called the law of reciprocity. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You've heard of that. Mm -hmm. That's called the law of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. It requires that a killer be killed, for example. The firstborn of Egypt die as a requital for the murder of the innocent Hebrew children. You see, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a, always a balance. Yeah, that makes see. a lot more sense yeah, now. There's yeah. always karma. There's something to be answered here. Mm -hmm. okay. Quote from a scholar from Jacques Allul again. He says, under the law of reciprocity, God lets the work of man bear its own fruits. And that is the judgment. Mm. He lets the work of man bear its own fruits. And man suffers the consequences of that which he has done. It's a natural consequence. So blood answers blood. Mm -hmm. right? Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Now the blood of Christ answers for the sins of the faithful. That's why we should be awfully grateful. Okay. Yes. Uh, but if you follow the dragon, uh, you answer for your own sins. And that's a painful accounting. And the Doctrine and Covenant says, how sore you know not. How exquisite you know not. Yea, how hard to bear you know not. Dr. Covenants, 1915. So, okay, let's go on to the fourth plague, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Okay, it's, that's that's the always the theme. They repented not. As long as you repent not, the consequences will come. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this plague of heat and fire and drought it keeps falling on wicked people all through the scriptures, doesn't it? I mm -hmm. mean, in, yeah. in Moses seven, um, this plague falls on the murderous people of Canaan who kill their neighbors to get hold of their land, and in response, the Lord curses the land with much heat. And the barrenness thereof shall go forth forever. That's in Moses chapter 7. So as with Canaan, or with Sodom and Gomorrah, or with the, um, the Axis powers in World War II, right? 
Mm-hmm. Think of what fell on Japan, right? Right, right. Think about this, the Jackson County mob that drove the Latter-day Saints out. Under uh, General Order 11, fire falls on those who rob and murder for gain. So what was General Order 11? Oh, okay. That was during the Civil War. You, you remember that in the 1830s, mobs of uh, anti-Mormons threw the Latter-day Saints out of Jackson County. Mm-hmm. They didn't want them there. They, they hated them. They, they drove them out. They drove them out. Mm-hmm. They, said, you're, you, they said, you've got to leave. And they, they said, uh, can you give us a couple of weeks? And they said, no, you're going to leave now. And so they burned their houses, burned the printing house, and they drove the people out. And the Latter-day Saints had to, had to cross the, the river and get out of Jackson County. Karma. <laughs> yeah, evidently, that was legal. Well, nobody said a word about it. Yeah, that's crazy. So then uh, 30 years later, almost exactly 30 years. Um, the Civil War is going on, right? And um, we're on the western border of the state of Missouri, and the Union forces are fighting the Confederates, right? The Jackson County people were carrying on guerrilla warfare against the Union Army. So the general, I think his name was Ewing, General Ewing, the Union Army, ordered all the people of Jackson County out of the county. You got to leave. <laughs> and they said, well, give us in now. <laughs> so it's the same scenario, only now it's happening to them. Right, okay? right. Very and then he burned all the houses. Mm. So Jackson County became a burned out district. This is called uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This yeah. is called the law of reciprocity. Yeah. The Lord made sure that eventually, guess what? Yep. You did it to them. I'm going to do it to you. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. Makes a lot of sense. So that's General Order 11. Mm. And, and if you go to Missouri today, to Independence, there's a big plaque in the, I think it's in the city square of Independence, commemorating the uh, terrible thing that happened <laughs> to the people of Jackson County when General Ewing burned their houses and drove them out. Yeah. But there's no plaque representing the fact that those same people had done the same thing to the Latter-day Saints yeah. 30 years before. So that's, anyway, anyway. That's, that's fascinating. Anyway, you see what happens. You violate the law of God, the consequence will come sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Now for the fifth plague, let's go to chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Okay, remember that that's the that's the key phrase. They still repented not. Repented Even though not. they suffer the consequences of what they're doing, they yeah. still repent not. Right, right. Um, this time the angel pours blood out on the seat of the beast, which uh, represents the throne of the tyrant beast, the symbol of corrupt kings and governments. Now the fifth angel's vial is drowning Satan's kingdom in dark just like when darkness covered Egypt. These, all of these plagues are recapitulations of what happened in, in uh, Exodus. Right. That's when darkness covered Egypt because Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right. Pharaoh, in all the scriptures, symbolizes a state where corporate powers that oppress the disadvantaged, the poor, thick, tangible darkness um, expresses the depravity of those powers. Now, Interesting. Okay, you, you got two kinds of shade <laughs> in in Exodus. 
one kind of shade is this kind of shade. Okay, darkness that comes out of the heart of the depraved rulers. Well, well the Israelites are shaded by a cloud too, but that cloud is to comfort them mm. in the heat of the day. Very cool. So they're yeah. shaded by a cloud in daytime, while the wicked experience the opposite. Blistering fire, vapor of darkness. So instead of repenting, um, the wicked mistake God as the source of their pain. That's why they gnaw their tongues and, and cry out blaspheme against God, because they say, you're doing this to us. Mm. And God says, oh, you're, you're doing it to yourselves. Okay, They're unwilling to see that their pain is the result of their own actions, and they refuse to change the direction of their lives. So now for the sixth plague, that's chapter 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Okay, now you remember that God... Um, dried up the sea so the Israelites could pass through. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to dry up the Euphrates so the wicked kingdom of Israel gets invaded. <laughs> okay, So it's, it's a reversal. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. The river Euphrates was a barrier that protected Israel against the powers from the east, like Assyria and Babylon. Uh, without that river, Israel lies wide open to invasion. So it's a natural barrier. And in John's world, civilization ended at the river Euphrates. That was the border of the Roman world, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and beyond that, were, uh, the people beyond it were called the barbarian hordes <laughs> that threatened uh, destruction of imperial. The imperial world was supposed to be calm and peaceful and commercial and everything was fine. But beyond that world was barbarian hordes that would threaten the empire and, of course, ultimately defeated it. But here again, we see an inversion of the miracles that saved Israel during the Exodus. This is a quotation from a New Testament scholar. On, on two important occasions, the Exodus and the return from Babylon, the drying up of the river brought salvation to the Jews. But in Revelation 16, the drying up of the waters provides a way for the enemy not for the chosen people. Uh, this, therefore, is the reversal of the drowning of Pharaoh and his charioters. This time, they can come through. Ironically, uh, the dried up waters that marked the covenant path in Exodus, remember, this is all a symbol. Um, they go through the Red Sea as a symbol of baptism. It uh, uh, marks the covenant path. The dried up waters now open up a route for invaders in Revelation. Mm -hmm. So from the dried... River mud, now comes another plague, and that's in verses 13, 14, and 16. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole earth, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Megiddo, maybe, sounds yeah, like. It is the, uh, in Hebrew, it would be Har Megiddo, which would be the, the hill of Megiddo. Yeah. Now, um, we'll talk about Armageddon in another episode, but for now, let's think about this. The frogs. Why frogs? Well, there was a 
plague of frogs, right? In, mm-hmm. in Exodus. So here we get another plague of frogs. And this time it falls on the wicked. But it's interesting to note that there was also, remember, he's always looking up into the sky mm-hmm. for symbols. Mm-hmm. And the frogs are, are bright stars in the southern sky. Uh, there's a little, a little constellation called the frogs. One of the stars was just named the frog, Difda, lies in the constellation Cetus, which is identified with the beast from the sea. So the frogs come from the beast. Okay. Why a plague of frogs? The Mosaic law forbid any contact with creeping things, such as frogs. Uh, so the plague of frogs in Egypt uh, rendered that whole country unclean, according to Leviticus 11. So these frog-like unclean spirits, they emanate from the sea beast, right? From, from political and religious powers, and they provoke war. In contrast to the gathering of Israel, there again we have two, two different armies, right? In contrast to the gathering of Israel, which is the army of God, these frog spirits gather armies to serve the beasts, right? In their ultimate fight at Armageddon against the army of God on Mount Zion. Now, the Greco-Romans regarded frogs as demons of the underworld. So it was a common metaphor. Their croaking signified, you know, um, confusion, nothingness, babble. Um, their screeches suggest the futility of Satan's war against God. Let's look at the seventh plague. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. That's powerful language, isn't it? It is. So the seventh vial, seventh plague, finishes purifying the earth. It's the finishing plague. It, 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 it purifies the earth in preparation for the millennium. Massive storms and earthquakes, they destroy the holdouts against God as, as the worldly powers topple for the last time. Okay? The city spoken of is Babylon, the symbol of um, wicked civilization. Why is the wicked city divided into three parts? Well, the three parts of the city symbolized the known world. It was well known in, in, in antiquity that the inhabited earth consisted of three parts, Europe, Asia, and Africa, uh, with Jerusalem right at the center. It's <laughs> interesting. If you look at ancient maps, you'll see this threefold division of the earth. So they always thought of, of the world as divided into three parts. Now, in, up in the sky, there's a constellation called Triangulum. In Greek, it was Deltoton. And it mirrored this three-way division. So they, saw, they looked up in the sky and they saw, okay, the Earth is in three parts, and that's in three parts. Okay, it's mm-hmm. like a mirror. Uh, remember that the mark of the beast was a triangle, mm-hmm. po- possibly. That's mm-hmm. my theory, is that it was a triangle. A New Testament scholar named Bruce Molina says that the mark of the beast is quote, the image of the inhabited world as a great city. The city divided into three parts represents the whole wicked world, okay? Now, John talks about a great earthquake, right, mm-hmm. at the end. Seventh plague is a great earthquake. And John surely knew 
about the damage that earthquakes can cause because during his lifetime, during, during the very century in which he lived, earthquakes devastated, it says, let's see, it says here, earthquakes devastated 27 cities of Roman Asia. That's where he was, mm. including six of the seven cities that he addresses in his letter, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, Laodicea and, and Philadelphia, they sat on a volcanic plateau called the, the Burnt Region. There were so many earthquakes and volcanoes, but, but John isn't talking, I think, about a literal earthquake here. He's, he's using it as a symbol. So what does the earthquake symbolize? Well, in the Bible, earthquakes are uh, signs of divine judgment, always. Remember in the book of Numbers, um, an earthquake engulfed the false prophet Korah and his minions, and Babylon will collapse when, quote, this is qu this quote from Isaiah 24, when the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, it shall fall and not rise again, unquote. That's Isaiah 24, 20. And remember in the book of Third Nephi, uh, in the Book of Mormon, a great earthquake kills off the wicked mm -hmm. before the Savior's visit to the righteous Nephites. Mm -hmm. And that was a literal earthquake. But John is talking about a spiritual and a social earthquake that happens when Babylon falls. Okay, let's sum up now. Just as the ancient priests poured blood on the altar to cleanse Israel of its sin, so the angel priests of heaven pour their vials on the earth to erase the stain of injustice. The bowls of blood are poured out on the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, those three. Remember, they're our unholy trinity, right? Mm -hmm. And the seventh bowl is poured out on the great city of Babylon. Now, Elu says this, these are manifestly the powers of the earth. The slaughter of wars, revolutions, and extermination camps remind us of this continually, right? In our, our, our age is the age of the seven bowls. And John sums up the spirit of Babylon as, quote, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's, mm. that's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Babylon is the source of all that. It's the source of sacrilege. It's the headquarters of organized tyranny, of organized oppression. It is the capital of covetousness. And now the hour has come to end its dominance of the earth. And in our next episode, we'll look at John's vision of the fall of Babylon. I'm excited to hear that. <laughs>